Well, welcome to worship. Let me add my worship to those of you who are in the chapel and those of you who are on Zoom. It's good to be worshiping with you today. My name's Liz Gray, and uh, I'm the, one of the pastors here, and it's delightful to be worshiping together. We're in the middle of a series of power, and um, I hope you've been tracking along with us week by week. Last week, Amy encouraged us to think of the power involved in love. This week's a continues in that theme, but I'm going to let you work out for yourselves to begin with where power comes into this, because we're going to be talking about vulnerability, which feels a bit like something unlike power, but we'll see. Kids, I wonder, well, maybe grown-ups as well, do you like arm wrestling? I always really like arm wrestling because I think I'm kind of strong, and um, I want to win always, of course, as we all do. But I wonder if you know who's the strongest in your family, who you can beat, who you can't beat. When is it helpful to be strong? And while I'm talking, perhaps you could always also take a few minutes to think about when is it helpful to be weak? What is it about being weak that can be good? Maybe you could also think about your favorite stories or movies or books. And I encourage all of you, think about a movie you've watched recently or a book you've read. And think about the stories of the hero or the heroine. Were they involved in trying to overcome some kind of vulnerability in their life throughout the story? And to be honest, whether it's Snow White or even actually James Bond, everybody is somewhat vulnerable in most stories. Yep, even James Bond has his moments of being vulnerable. But when I say that word vulnerable, I wonder what you think of. Possibly, the first thing you think about is being physically vulnerable. And perhaps this is particularly true of those who are physically a bit weaker. Babies, children, women, the old, the infirm. People who have some kind of physical restraint on their lives. But actually, at the moment, uh, if you think about the pandemic we're going through, all of us are physically vulnerable. Every single one of us has that slight sense of vulnerability. That's why we wear masks all the time, because we know that we are all vulnerable to this little teeny-weeny virus. But even within that, there are some who are more vulnerable than others, people with other conditions or who have physical problems which make them more likely to succumb to the virus. So there's kind of physically vulnerable. What about emotionally vulnerable? And I think you'll find this particularly well, for me, when it, something happens which is close to a tragedy in my life. So I know that when somebody has died, I become more emotionally vulnerable every time I hear about death or about somebody who is struggling. We tend to be more emotionally vulnerable in our places of hurt or grief. There's also a kind of vulnerability which comes with a lack of capacity or skills or knowledge. And I guess probably all of us at some point have been called upon, say at work, to stand up and give our opinion about something or to suddenly be asked a question. I was in a group this week and I was suddenly asked a question and I felt very vulnerable. I had no idea what the answer was. And I was kind of going, ooh. Uh, so I just kind of deflected. Um, sometimes when we don't have the skills. And what's interesting is the number of kind of heroes of the Bible, like Moses, he starts out by being very emotionally vulnerable, or very vulnerable in terms of his capacity, his skills. And we might also think about being economically vulnerable. And again, at the moment, the pandemic has wiped out so many businesses. 
so many arrests for small businesses driving down. Where were we driving? We were driving somewhere down a parade of shops yesterday and just noticed that every second shop was space to let, leafing, empty restaurants. Many, many people are economically vulnerable at the moment. Now, when you think about characters in the Bible, perhaps we don't often think of Paul as being a particularly vulnerable person. But in that reading you heard a few minutes ago, you heard about some of the ways where, indeed, he has been vulnerable. Physically vulnerable to shipwrecks, to persecutions and calamities. Emotionally vulnerable to taunts and insults. Paul, too, knew what it was like to be vulnerable. Now, if you hear the word vulnerable in this day and age, my guess would be 85% of you have heard of somebody called Brené Brown, and she does podcasts of, on many topics to do with our being. And she defines vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And she argues that vulnerability is at the center of meaningful human experience and leads to courage, to compassion, and to connection. I think that's a pretty good uh, definition. But here's another one. Andy Crouch wrote a book called Strong and Weak. And this is my book of the week. But he defined vulnerability as exposure to meaningful risk. Exposure to meaningful risk. And I think that really is what Paul was summing up in his letter earlier as he talked about the weakness he experienced in his flesh. And Paul constantly allowed himself to be exposed to meaningful risk. His life was full of ways where he pushed himself into positions where he would be at risk in order to extend the spread of the gospel. The choices he made were never to be safe or particularly comfortable. But the story I want us to focus on for a minute now is the story of Naaman and the servant girl of his wife. And if you've got a Bible near you, you might want to turn to page 311. Certainly it's 311 in the Pew Bibles, but you'll find it in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. This is an extraordinary story, and I love it so much. The story of this big man. I, okay, I think of him as big because he was the commander of the army. So, I mean, picture some of the generals, um, American generals. You know, if you ever look at pictures of kind of like the big military types standing in a row with medals all over them, they're hench. They're huge. They're big. And even more so, perhaps, for Naaman because their, their warfare was so physical that he would have probably been a big, strong man not looking particularly vulnerable to begin with. But then he gets leprosy. Even big, strong men can get sick. Here he was, a mighty man of valor he's described of in the story. But he's a leper. Okay, despite his power and influence, he can't change his situation. But strangely enough, there is someone in his household who can. Someone who is described as a little girl. A little girl who, what's more, was a slave girl, who had been snatched away in some kind of raid into Israel, into this country of Syria. Picture that little girl. She is so vulnerable. She's little, so she's physically vulnerable. 
She's without her family. She's been snatched into a situation where she's living with enemies. She's living with people whose language might have been different from her own. She's living in a situation where she was so emotionally vulnerable. She has no capacity, skills, education. She has nothing, really, to commend herself. And yet, she knows something. She knows something, and she knows of someone. And she goes to her mistress and says, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. This little girl risked everything. She risked being beaten. She risked being thrown out. She risked the cheek of it. The cheek of suggesting that her big, strong master should go and find some dusty prophet in a different country. This isn't a suggestion to just take a pill or rest for a few days or drink more water. It's a suggestion that he should go and find a holy man in a different country, practicing a different religion, someone he'd never heard of, in a place which was probably inaccessible, in a country which they had a very tenuous peace agreement with at the time. This was a suggestion from this little girl that this man should make himself extraordinarily vulnerable, that he should travel far, that he should go and seek someone out. She stirs him to action. She takes, she exposes herself to meaningful risk and encourages him to do the same. So Naaman goes to the king of Syria and gets permission to travel, and with his backing, he sets off to see, not the prophet immediately, but he goes off and finds the king of Israel. And he takes with him great, a great train. I'm sure there were lots and lots of people with him, a pomp and circumstance, and he goes and he has all these gifts, which he then presents to the king of Israel, and he says, here I am, I've got leprosy, cure me. The king of Israel is understandably perturbed by this. Is this guy trying to trick him? Is he trying to set up some kind of war between the two countries? What is he doing? He knew that he was a mere human. He couldn't cure someone of leprosy. The king of Israel is completely distraught and starts ripping his clothes, a sign of being in just dire, dire need. Elisha, Elisha, who was the prophet that the little girl was referring to, sends word and says, it's okay, don't panic, send Naaman to me. And so the king of Israel, I'm sure with huge relief, sends Naaman off to Elisha. Now the next lovely moment in the story, when Elisha gets, when Naaman gets to Elisha's house, Elisha doesn't even come out. Elisha stays indoors and sends out his servant it's as if he is pushing Naaman right to the edge of his sanity. He's kind of going, uh-uh, uh-uh, you stay out there, I'm in here. I'm the one who's in control, I'm the one who knows God. You come. You're going to have to have a moment of increasing your exposure to risk. And Elisha sends out word and says, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. And this enrages Naaman. He thinks his rivers are good enough. Why should he have to go and dip in it? The Jordan, I mean, the Jordan's just some crummy little river in the kingdom of Israel. But fortunately, once again, his servants come to him and say, don't be daft. Go and dip in the Jordan. What, what have you got to lose? And Naaman again, he says, all right, I will expose myself to this risk. And he goes. And finally, he humbles himself. He strips off. He dips into the Jordan seven times. And he comes out. And it says he comes out with his skin like that of a little child. And I kind of love that kind of reference back almost. He is becoming a little bit more like 
the young girl, the little girl who sent him off on this adventure. The little girl was not whipped or cast out. She did expose herself to meaningful risk, and she did it for the good of her master. She did it out of love. She did it out of compassion. She did it out of a desire to see him healed, knowing that she had knowledge which could rescue him from his condition. Truly, it was her vulnerability that led to her master being healed and ultimately to God's name being worshipped then and now. It's quite extraordinary that it's this little girl who exercises authority in this story by her willingness to step into her risk and to love well. So let's finally just turn to Jesus, the ultimate example of exposure to meaningful risk. There's this lovely description in Philippians 2 where it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Even here in Philippians, Jesus is identifying more with this little girl than with Naaman. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus submitting himself, becoming vulnerable as a baby in a hostile cultural situation. The situation where Jesus was born, no antibiotics, all the rest of it, he became a vulnerable baby. Death rates were high for babies. Infant mortality was high. No antibiotics in Israel at that time. He lived in a country where he was vulnerable to the invading army which had overtaken. He lived with the equivalence of a slave. Jesus who steps daily into his vulnerability, his emotional vulnerability when he wept with his friends, his vulnerability in boats and storms. Jesus was a man in a human body and he knew what it meant to be vulnerable, to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be crucified. But again, as Andy Crouch rather beautifully puts it, Jesus may have given up his privilege and position by being born as a baby, but he never gives up his authority. And his authority comes in his power to love. Everything he does is from this fundamental basis of loving others and therefore being exposed to meaningful risk throughout his life for the sake of those around him. Time after time, Jesus rejected powerful worldly narrative of power grabbing and in that story of the last supper we just heard he took again this identification of being a slave as he went to the position of the lowliest person in the household and tenderly washed his disciples feet a deliberate action a deliberate action identifying with this exposure to meaningful risk where Jesus shows himself aligning again not with Naaman but with the slave girl, not with worldly power, with the Christ power, a power which loves and serves. And so what about us? What do we do about this invitation to exposure to meaningful risk? I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that it's the way to more life. Yes, we can sit tucked up and never expose ourselves to risk, but how dull life would be. And this isn't just risk for risk's sake. This isn't just about being foolhardy. This is meaningful risk. Taking opportunities 
to expose ourselves to risk for the sake of others, to look for the flourishing of other people. Each of these people, Paul, the servant girl, and indeed Jesus, it's because they embraced risk that lives were changed, culture was altered, theology was written, we were forgiven. But it's worth noting that risk is not certainty. Risk involves perhaps adventure, but it also involves the potential for suffering. And for each of us, I believe that vulnerability will land up with us suffering in one way or another. Exercising vulnerability could even lead for us to physically die. But for most of us, it'll lead to small deaths along the way where we step down and under with love on behalf of others, including our enemies. So I wonder if you could take a moment to consider your week ahead. What are the things that you're stepping into this week? Are there places where you could take thoughtful, intentional risk? Could you expose yourself to meaningful risk for the sake of others? Could you allow yourself to be vulnerable? Perhaps in a work situation? perhaps in a family situation, perhaps in a conversation with a colleague or a neighbor. And it's to be done from a perspective of love and to be done with a perspective of looking for the flourishing of someone else before yourself, to look for the way of looking for somebody else to step into greater healing. We're going to be quiet in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to consider that power, the power that you exercise in being vulnerable, in looking for the transformed lives of those around you. Let's pray. Father, as we're quiet now, will you bring to mind places in our lives where we have been unduly defensive, protective of ourselves, perhaps? Would you show us where to be appropriately able to embrace appropriate and meaningful risk? Will you show us what it means to love others in a way which puts them before ourselves? Help us to see places where we can look for the flourishing of those around us. And will you guide us, Holy Spirit, that we take not foolish risk, but meaningful risk? For the sake of the gospel. Amen.